Welcome back to a new episode of Real Estate Unplugged. As I do each week, I'm, I'm interviewing corporate real estate professionals to share their life experiences and their career experiences with future generations so that we can potentially learn and grow as corporate real estate professionals and as individuals who look to have a career in real estate. This week, I'm really excited to, uh, to have Tom Donatelli, a recently retired corporate real estate professional from Teva on the show. And as we always do at the beginning of every episode, uh, Tom, if you'd be so kind to introduce yourself to us. Sure. First of all, thanks for having me on, Greg. I'm, I'm really glad we, we bumped into each other at that Cornet outing, you know, a couple of months ago. Uh, and, and thanks for the opportunity to be on your, your podcast. So, um, I'm Tom Donatelli. I am recently retired from Teva Pharmaceuticals. Um, although, Greg, you know, so graciously said earlier, I, I look too young to be retired, which I hope is true. But either way, you know, I've just taken a couple of months off and I'll be dipping my, my toe back in the water soon. Having said that, um, I have about 37 years of experience out in the corporate world, um, only about 12 of it in corporate real estate, um, but but the most recent 12. So so I've had quite a bit of, uh, of, of broad exposure to the corporate real estate world at uh, at both Pfizer, where I was uh, before Teva, and then at Teva Pharmaceuticals. Um, I've got a diversity of experiences and skills in other areas like finance, and treasury, and procurement, and I did some consulting work for for a while, and I also was a, a manufacturing engineer right out of school. So that that seems like a previous life uh, right now. But um, anyways, that's kind of a, a broad overview. I do have a mechanical engineering undergrad degree, and I've got an MBA from Columbia. Thanks for that, Tom. So I, I guess first question, if I was um, if I was a young professional, would be so how did you get into corporate real estate? You did all these things. How, how did corporate real estate become the role that you played? Great question, because both at Pfizer and then again at Teva, I was part of the global procurement organization. I had gotten into procurement back in the early 2000s, um, and um, I was a direct report to the chief procurement officer at Pfizer back in, uh, I think it was 2010 or 2011. And she had at the time expanded her role and responsibilities to not only include procurement, but also to take on all the global facilities and, and corporate real estate responsibilities. And she looked at me one day, she said, Tom, I don't really know a lot about this corporate real estate stuff. Uh, you want to take a try at it? And I said, sure. Sounds interesting. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and jump in and, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll learn something along the way. And that was 12 years ago and uh, I've been doing it ever since. Actually, interestingly enough, I left Pfizer back in 20, um, 2013, and then when I jumped over to Teva, uh, the exact same thing happened. I, I started in the, the global procurement function, and then the chief procurement officer here at Teva also increased their responsibilities to include real estate and facilities. And then it was a natural um, reaction for her at the time to just say, hey, Tom, you know, you want to run this thing, and, and I agreed to it. But the first time was uh, you know, pure serendipity. All right, so you so you so you jump in with uh, with arms wide open, and you take a look at the real estate portfolio. You figure out okay, and what what's the biggest surprise? So the biggest surprise coming into the role of how it was versus how you thought it should be. And I understand you probably didn't have a framework of what you thought it should be because you had never looked at it through the lens of real estate before because you hadn't done that. But be interesting to hear about uh, to understand 
perspective of somebody who's in that role, maybe for the first mm-hmm. time, uh, and what and what they're encountering, um, and what right. what they're taking on. Yeah, that's a really good question. So, you know, when I when I took it on, you're right. That's the first thing I did. Right, I did a lot of research. I collect a lot of information uh, and did a, a deep dive into the, the portfolio. And um, I think, you know, having some of the skills that I had already had in both manufacturing and engineering, as well as in uh, in finance and in procurement, there were a lot of parallel experiences that I could bring to the table. But uh, I was I was surprised at how well my finance background really played into my ability to be successful in a role like that. Um, to be fair, at the time, this function was reporting up to the CFO uh, of the company. So clearly, you know, finance you know played a, a key role in that world, regardless of what you were doing. But um, I found that foundational set of financial acumen, you know, skills and experiences that I had really lent itself to be able, for me to be able to kind of jump in and really add value fairly quickly. Could you could you help um, with some? real world applications of the of of of, uh, of those skills sure yeah one, one example was at the time you know we were looking to downsize our portfolio and we had a number of what we called um you know distressed assets that uh you know we were just having a lot of difficulty difficulty offloading you know to get out of the portfolio so um, we turned it into essentially a financial exercise. We created a, a simple kind of um, sheet for every asset that had all of the financial aspects of that asset. Right? What were the what were the running costs? You know, the burn rates. Uh, what were the you know what was the current book value? And um, you know what? How long had it been on the market for? And therefore, how much cash had we already burned? And we picked some very clear, bright financial lines and we said, listen, when we reach a point where we burned X amount of cash, we're either going to auction this off or give this thing away. And at the time, you know, we actually did that because the company, you know, that I was working for uh, was looking to improve its its uh, cash position. So in, in a sense, you know, if you have one of these distressed assets and you can't really sell it, in many ways, it does make sense to do some of those kind of and take some of those unusual steps like donate auction or in some cases, you know, give some of these assets away just to get the cash burn, you know, off your books. So that was a very financially oriented, a good example of a highly financially oriented exercise that um, really helped the company I was working for, you know, meet the goals that they wanted to meet at the time. So so then you um, you start getting more and more comfortable in uh, in in the position um, and Presumably, at some point, you are tasked with hiring some people to help grow, to, to help grow because because your responsibility, because you can't, I mean, imagine a portfolio of that size, and we haven't even talked how many million square feet, but I can imagine it was sizable. Um, again, the lens of I'm a young professional, and I'm looking for a career in corporate real estate. What are... Uh, what were you look? What do you think you were looking for, or what are some of those um, attributes that uh, that really resonated with you when uh, when looking to build your team? 
Yeah, re really good question because yes, I was certainly in the position many times to recruit. Sometimes it was just recruiting um, people from service organizations like you know the big CBREs and JLLs and Christian Wakefields, but also there were other occasions where I was recruiting internally or developing people you know internally to be part of the corporate real estate organization. And um, I, I, I take this approach regardless of the function I'm in. I did the same thing in the, the procurement function when I was in that function. And what I, what, what I typically do is I look for a foundational skill set. It's sort of what I'd call the price of entry into the interview, right? Which is, you know, I, I need somebody to have at least some basic understanding or comprehension of, you know, the fundamentals of, of real estate. Um, but over and above that, what's more important, you know, once they demonstrate they've got that, that foundational skill set, what's more important to me is what I call the soft skills, which is team, you know, the ability to be a good team player, the ability to have good judgment, the ability to be able to kind of explain complicated situations in a very sort of um, plain English kind of way, the ability to take the lead on something and um, influence people, even though you may not have them in your direct reporting line. You know, all of those soft skills for me uh, are really what's put someone over the top or not, you know, based on the interview process. And, and maybe I'll just sort of, I'll, I'll, I'll put some more context around that. Yeah. Remember, I'm I'm not in the, the service world. I'm not in the CBREs or the JLLs world. I'm in a corporation, a big company, right, uh, where it does require a lot of those skills in order to be successful. That may or may not be true, you know, in some of these other organizations. So let's just um, play on that a step further. So you're in a you're in an organ you're in a corporation. And um, in many instances, it depends on the organization. I'd imagine some some corporations see the corporate real estate head role as a cost. So as a result, um, even though you are you have this amazing, I think, an incredible responsibility to manage a portfolio that could potentially save the uh, the corporation a lot of money, and to make sure it's most efficient and effective. So how do you uh, and how did you uh, communicate with uh, those people that you reported to, to make sure that uh, your value was recognized and acknowledged? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that goes back to kind of the financial focus, right? So um, in everything we did, whether it was, you know, setting up our, our goals and objectives uh, at the beginning of the year or reporting out on our results at the end of the year, um, there were there were always some very well-structured, quantifiable goals, right, that we either reached or didn't reach. And they always tied back directly to cash flow or P&L. So that there was always, you know, an opportunity to speak the lingo of senior leaders of the company because they they all could sort of, you know, relate to that cash flow slash P&L perspective. Right. Um, and they could sort of understand how this function was adding value in those areas. There were, there were some 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 other focus areas as well. It wasn't always just about finance, but in some cases, like, um, you know, one, one of the projects we worked on was the company I was working for was changing the strategy of their R&D function to, to get away from large, uh, high cost, cumbersome R&D campuses and 
moving more towards co-locating in high tech, you know, high biotech areas that had all of these different skill sets and were close to universities. Um, so our, our function's ability to help not only remove the big cumbersome costly assets from you know the portfolio, but also to quickly um, bring in some of those other more nimble assets that could sort of place the scientists of our company uh, right next to all of that sort of technology focus, you know, in those different areas. So that's not a P&L or a, um, a cash flow objective, but it's a very important objective, right, for that company. So the ability to clearly define what can really add value depending on where you're working and then sort of be able to quantify it at the end of the day. So one of those things when you say uh, quantifiably adding value, I think lease administration, actually. And I and I I'm just curious uh, and lease and lease auditing. So I'm curious um, I'm curious in in either of the roles that you played, um, did those were those done as best they could before you came on, and did you incorporate those strategies uh, in your uh, in, in your roles to uh, to be able to enhance the portfolio? Yeah, in in both cases. Um let's just say the lease administration database and process was um, in need of focus in both cases. And in both cases, uh, the corporate real estate team, you know, we, we drove a lot of effort into improving the quality of the data and the quality of the process around it so that we could uh, credibly stand in front of our senior leaders you know, with information that not only was important, but also matched the reality of what was happening on the ground. Um, You know, we needed to have that credibility. We needed to have the data um, accurate enough uh, on a regular basis. And and that was a very important objective. And it took a significant amount of time and effort to bring those two solutions up to where they needed to be in both cases. Um, I just, I find a lot of conversations I have with, uh, with, with corporations that don't necessarily have a real estate head, that that's an area where I, well, I'll call some low hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. I can I can definitely see why because it does require a laser like focus over a long period of time in order to uh, ensure that that whole sort of process around lease administration uh, is looked after. Because if you don't have a senior person focused on that, it's just not going to happen. Um, if we if we Change direction for a bit, and we we're talking about um, uh, being held accountable. I would imagine um, nobody's uh, nobody's without making some mistakes along the way. Uh, especially, I'd imagine as you started on that path in corporate real estate, you uh, you may have come across a couple of obstacles, and um, it'd be interesting. And, and I always. Whenever I whenever I make mistakes, I say I take a positive I take take away from it a positive experience because I learned from it. That's that's a long mm-hmm. way of saying it. So, could you share with us a few mistakes that you have made and uh, and what you've learned from them? Sure. You know, one of the one of the bigger mistakes that I was uh, I was involved in was connected to an IFM project, Integrated Facilities Management. So, the company I was working for had recently outsourced all of its facilities um, services to uh, a service provider. And 
you know, it was a very large, complex, high cost outsourcing, you know, over a hundred million dollars, um, 86 different sites and, and not just office locations or plants, R&D labs, distribution centers, et cetera. So it became obvious about a year in that things just weren't working in, in some pretty significant ways. Um, I won't go into the kind of the guts or the details, but suffice to say that uh, it required a deep dive, you know, by me. I, I was a, a very senior person in the organization, and I spent a significant amount of time kind of really getting into the guts of this this area to really understand kind of what were the root causes and was there a pathway out, you know, for the company. And so, so, so the mistake was um, making some assumptions up front about whether or not, you know, this solution would or could work for our company and being too optimistic and too, I don't know, we had the rose colored glasses on, right? Everything was going to be wonderful and we were going to deliver all these cost savings, but we, you know, we left out some key details and um, uh, so at the end of the day, that was the mistake, right? Um, the, what I learned from it was, um, it's important to number one, admit, you know, that that mistake was made sooner rather than later, because we were sort of uh, not only not meeting our cost reduction goals, but the costs were going up. So for the company, it was a, a, a highly uh, contentious, you know, situation that a lot of senior leaders were focused on. And the other thing I learned was it's important to know when to I'm not really a fisherman, but I like to use this term when to cut bait and run. <laughs> so in our case, you know, we made the decision that this just isn't working and we need to unwind this thing. And that was a very that was probably the most difficult and complicated. Effort that I had ever gone through in my career, and, and it was 30 plus years uh, at that point. So hopefully that kind of encapsulates, you know, one one example. And I would imagine you you probably spend so much time and energy getting them on boarded that, uh, that there was the, there was the investment in the time up front. So to have to then unwind all of that. Yeah. I mean, harrowing. not just, yes, there, there, there was a significant amount of effort to bring that solution uh, into play to begin with. And the effort was both on the service provider side, as well as the, the company side. And a lot of people, a lot of time, a lot of effort went into that. So, so it's that gets back to the lesson learned, which is sometimes you just have to admit that it's just not working and there's no clear way out of this other than to just say, we need to, we need to stop and unwind this thing and, uh, you know, move in another direction. And it's hard to do that. And that, that lesson can be applied, I think, to a lot of different functions and, and industries, not even just corporate real estate. Um, I'm going to put my, my advisor hat roll, um, on for a moment and, and ask you, I'd imagine every day, if not, uh, if not multiple times a day, you have outreach from the advisory community to, to, uh, to see how they can help. So, uh, so it'd be interesting to get your perspective, um, and hear from you how the advisory, uh, the advisory role can be most helpful to you and what, what role they played in your, uh, in your function. Mm-hmm. But just to be clear, when you say advisory, you're talking about external advisors, Correct. be they consulting firms, real estate firms, et cetera, Correct. right? Yes. Yes. So 
Uh, I'm a big fan of getting context and perspective uh, from advisors. Um, you know, you have to be careful not to go too broad, right? Otherwise, you know, it, it can get kind of cloudy. But um, I'm a big fan of using advisors, particularly for benchmarking. And um, the reason I say that is I've always found that most senior executives and leaders of the companies I've worked for, they always want to know what are what's our competition doing, right? What's what's the rest of the industry doing? And to be able to bring that perspective to the table really ups your game and your your value and how you're perceived and viewed, you know, by senior leaders in your company. So I, so I think that's really important, um, as well as you know targeted use of advisors to help deliver certain results that lease administration database and process is a great example it's not a skill set you know that we had in-house so you know we went out and asked somebody to help us do that and there's some other good examples of that as well Well, i'd love for if you if you could to delve a little bit deeper what are some of those other roles that uh, that you found were were outside of your purview or well, a great example was during, you know, during COVID, everybody knows this, right? Anybody who's been in the space knows the question everybody was asking was, you know, what does the path back to the office look like, right? So, um, of course, you know, guys like me and, and people that work for me can always ask our peers what's happening. And then we, we did a lot of that. But that's a good example of, hey, let's bring somebody in who really uh, is an expert in this space. Um, and so, so that's one example, delivering, uh, an IFM solution. You know, in our case, it didn't work out, but in any case, that's usually, uh, a, a significantly large and complicated activity that it really makes sense to bring in some help, right? To make that happen, particularly help from somebody who's done it before in the context and situation that you're in. So those are a couple of, couple of examples. And, um, I'll put you on the hot seat here. I asked the question before we uh, we started, um, which was if you were a, if you were somebody listening right now uh, who was a corporate real estate um, professional um, working for a company, um, what are the things that are you know you're you're a week two weeks out of the role? What were some of the things? I, I hate saying keep you up at night, but what are those things that are like? top of the issues list right now. And I, and I'm asking you to paint a little bit of a, a broad picture because I understand that it's somewhat industry specific, but, mm-hmm. uh, but what are some of those things that if you're, if, if you're at a Cornet event and it's only uh, uh, corporate real estate heads who are sitting around, uh, you know, at the table, they're talking about what they're dealing with right now. Uh, what are the struggles that they're having? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question because, uh, again, uh, the context and the lens that I'm coming from is a, a large, you know, excuse me, a large manufacturing yes. company that has a, a, a variety of offices and labs and manufacturing plants, et cetera. So, you know, typically what keeps guys like us up at night is if, if, if you broaden the context of corporate real estate to include the, the running and managing and maintaining of the facilities, it's, it's about, you know, what's, what risks do we have out there in terms of security and, um, you know, environmental issues and other 
you know, areas that really can derail, you know, a company, right? Those, those are the kinds of things, you know, environmental spills, you know, security issues, um, those kinds of, th those are typically the things that really keep me up um, versus, you know, kind of the straight up working on the portfolio strategy and delivering on transactions. You know, I think they, they tend to be a little bit more straightforward and less, less stressful unless you're working on a very you know large transaction you know we had a pretty significant effort at my my most recent company to put a corporate headquarters in place um uh, in, in another country so delivering that result you know where the ceo and you know some very very senior players are going to sit inside of that headquarters along with another you know 1500 people um you know being able to make sure on a day-to-day -day basis that gets delivered and is delivered in a way that people are happy with you know those are the kinds of things that keep you up at night right yep yep i understand that um it's a lot a lot of, a lot on your shoulders yeah especially in being the case outside of that, from another country yeah in the case of that uh headquarters the ceo was intimately involved in making decisions about the space and the color schemes and the carpet and the the ceilings and the layouts and, and everything else. So, you know, those, you know, when you're that close to the top, um, it can get pretty stressful. Yep. Yep. Um, but also a great opportunity to, uh, exactly. to get, uh, exposure to someone who might not necessarily appreciate all of the value that you bring in your role. Exactly. Good example. Um, well, we've covered a lot. Um, I learned before when we, uh, before we turned, uh, the play on that you're a big fan of movies. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe you share with us one of your maybe favorite top three, top three movies that, uh, that, that, that you've seen multiple times. Yeah. I, I, I like a wide variety of movies, but I'm a, um, I'm a pretty good sci-fi or call it more a sci-fi fan. And uh, I love that movie Interstellar with um, Matthew McConaughey. I'm not sure if you've ever seen it. I haven't. No. That, that whole idea of, you know, there's there's some time travel that goes on in there in some weird ways. And uh, so so I really love that movie and those those kinds of movies. But I love some some of the older movies, the Godfather movies for me are just classics. And uh, my absolute favorite movie of all time is a movie called Cool Hand Luke. Sure. Uh, a lot of people, I was going to say, a lot of people don't know it, but Paul Newman was in it. At, I think it was filmed back in the 50s or 60s. But I just love the the group dynamics that happen in that situation. It's just fascinating to me and how all of those guys, their attitudes towards each other change over time. Uh, I just am sort of fascinated with those kinds of group dynamics. And I think that applies well in the, you know, the, the corporate world. Right. <laughs> a good time. That's a good tie in. That's a good segue. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't intend it that way. I know you did. Uh, it I worked. Did. Even better. <laughs> Even better. Exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, Tom, thank you so much for taking the time, sharing with us some of your experiences and your insight. Uh, for those listening, this has been another episode of Real Estate Unplugged with your hosts, Greg Cohen and uh, Tom Donatelli. And uh, until next, next time, and uh, we'll see you then. Tom, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me, Greg. Take care.